The Old Testament reading is from Jonah 1, and it's the uh, sermon text again for today. We're picking up where we did last week. So Jonah's running from his twin vocation to be holy and to be on mission. And he gets caught in this storm. And in the middle of the storm, here's what the sailors say. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What's your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is the very first part of 1 Corinthians 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, so uh, let's go back to the, uh, Jonah 1, verses 7 through 10, and talk about this. We're in the middle of the storm now, and um, Jonah, like I said uh, at the beginning of the Old Testament reading, Jonah has not been faithful to this twin vocation. God has called Jonah and his, all of his people in the Old Testament, and all of his people now, to these two, uh, two things, these two callings. 
And your calling, your own individual personal callings, you know, the jobs that you do, uh, the family that you have, uh, the friends that you have, uh, the hobbies that you have, they all fit in underneath these two big callings. Uh, One is holiness. God has called his people to be a holy nation, Exodus 19 says, remember? The other, so to, to look like him, to be separate, to look like God. The other part of our vocation is mission. We've also been called to be a kingdom of priests. We are to not just be holy in our Christian ghetto, but we are to be holy in front of the entire world. Holy in the presence, holy in the presence of God, holy in the presence of God's creation. Jonah, he's got the first part. Like he gets it. I'm one of the chosen people. Like a lot of us get it. We are one of God's chosen people. But he fall, he, he, he's scared to death of the second part. So much so that he's willing to take off running. The part about being on mission. Being God's chosen people in front of the world. And so uh, he runs away to sea. And of course you can't escape God. He's going to find, uh, find Jonah wherever he's at. And God throws this storm at the ship. Uh, verse 4 says. And uh, then this happens. In verse 7, uh, the sailors say to one another, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. We, so, somebody remind me to talk sometime about casting lots and what that has to do with us knowing God's will. I think it's a super fascinating topic. And, uh, just later, uh, somebody remind me that we should do that sometime. We're not going to do it now today, though. The sailors say this, we want to know on whose account this evil has come upon us. It's a Hebrew word. Uh, Ra is the Hebrew word for evil. We want to know where this evil came from. Now, do you remember back in verse 2? God's call to Jonah was, go to Nineveh. Remember, so if you were here uh, uh, last week, you'll know that, that the Assyrians were particularly evil. The Assyrians were the kind of people that even the Babylonians thought, whoa, those guys are insane. The, the, the level of torture, I won't go through uh, the examples again, but the level of torture that they would delight in administering to their prisoners was uh, inhumane is actually kind of too soft a word to say that. And so God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh and confront this. This is what he says. I'm going to read it to you. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil, Ra, has come up before me. They're so evil, I'm going to send a prophet from Israel up there to confront them about their evil, their lack of humanity. Joseph, refu- Joseph, Jonah refuses to do this. See what happens in verse 7. The sailors say, we want to know where this evil came from. Jonah is called to be God's holy guy in front of the world because the world is evil and needs God's holiness. Jonah is called to confront the world because of their evil. He refuses to do it, and what does he do? He magnifies the evil. Because he refuses to confront the evil, this evil storm comes upon the sailors. The, the, the sailors know the sea. They're Phoenicians. They know how to sail. Uh, they know that this is not just a quirk in the weather. They know that this storm is weird. It's been thrown at them, verse 4 says, by, by Yahweh. And so they know there's some evil behind it. That's what we do. We as Christians, the good people, we're the good guys, right? We betray our vocation, and the evil that we're opposed to, we just magnify. So I think about like 15 instances this past week in my own life where I've been called to oppose evil, either the evil in my own heart or the minor evils that are around me, or the big evils that are around me. And what do I do? I lose my temper. 
I'm lazy. I'm not kind. Yes, I was telling Angela the other day, I, I had to go into Walmart. I hate going into Walmart. So there's nothing more dehumanizing than going into Walmart. And I, was, I went into Walmart with a, a bitter attitude and kind of ticked off that I had, this actually a couple of weeks ago, ticked off that I had to be there. And I was, as I was walking out, you know, I was kind of grumpy. And the, the, the greeter lady who looks at your receipt was super nice to me. I was having none of it. I was already grumpy. I had to be in Walmart. And I realized as I, you know, I wasn't mean, but I was like, you know, she was trying to be nice and friendly, and I was kind of curt and like, okay, thank you. And I realized as I was walking out, I actually magnified the problem that I was upset with. This is not what God has called me to do. God has not called me to capitulate to the dehumanization that is a, a Walmart shopping trip. I'm called to be, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be flippant or funny. I'm called to be Jesus in Walmart. I'm called to love people. And what do I do? Like I failed. And this lady, I have no clue who she was. Maybe she was the most faithful Christian ever. Maybe she was a pagan. I don't know. But how did I treat her? I treated her not vocationally, but selfishly and self. And what did I do? I made Walmart the thing that I don't like Walmart for being. That's what Jonah does. Jonah, he's not going to confront the evil, and he ends up magnifying the evil. So what happens next? Uh, Verse 8, they said to him, uh, well, they cast lots. We'll talk about that later. Not today, though. Uh, The sailor said to Jonah in verse 8, and this is kind of weird. I I know there's a big storm going on, and it seems like they're making small talk. But let me explain what's going on here. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country, and of what people are you? So they're, they're not making small talk. They understand, especially in the ancient world, that the place where you lived who your geographical and ethnic identity was determined who your God was. Like the gods that you worship were peculiar. If you're a Phoenician, you're going to worship Baal, right? If you're, uh, if you're Hebrew, you're going to worship Yahweh. If you're Egyptian, you're going to worship Ra. And so they're going to find who is this person. We need to know where this evil is coming from. Let's find out who this guy is. These are questions of identity. Where are you from? We do the same thing. Like if I say, if I, if you, if you walk up to my parents and you say to my mom, where are you from? And she says, Bethalto, you have one thing in your mind. You already have, for those of you who are from the area, you have a built-in preconceived notion of what she is just based upon the town she told you she was from. If you say to my dad, where are you from? And he says, East St. Louis, it's completely different, different. You have a completely different story in your head. That's what the sailors are doing with Jonah. They're trying to get at his story. They want his identity. But look, the sailors recognize something that you and I frequently don't recognize, and that's this. Your identity, my identity, is directly linked to what or who we worship. Your identity is directly who you think you are, like your view of yourself, your view of your own needs and and your own desires and your own hobbies and your own taste in food. Your view of yourself, your identity is directly linked to what or who you worship. Sometimes this is good. Frequently it's bad. Let me give you an example from the Bible. In Genesis chapter 30, some of you remember the story of uh, Jacob and his wife, Rachel. Rachel's sister is having babies. And Rachel's insanely jealous. I I told you something before. I I know what this is like. Uh, Angela and I were married for seven years, seven years before Harry was born. My sister got married. How many years after we got married? Like four or five years. And Angela and I wanted the kids really bad. And my, my sister got married 
five years, six years after we did, and um, was pregnant long before I thought she should be. I, I struggled real bad with jealousy, right? So what, what, why, why did I have bitter thoughts about my sister? Why did I find myself rooting against my sister? This is the identity I had carved out for myself. I want to be a father. That's who I want to be. And this is what Rachel said. I want to be a mother. Here's the direct quote from Genesis 30. She says to Jacob, give me children or I die. That's what she says. Jacob's response is just good old-fashioned theology. Who am I, God? You know, the writer of, you know, Moses is making a theological point. Jacob's probably just being snarky. You look, what are you asking me for? I can't give you babies. But Moses is making a point. Like, I can't give you what you need. Even if I can give you children, Rachel, I still am not going to be able to give you what your heart really needs. You know, so give me children or I die, she says. Ironically, for those of you who know the story, she does get a child and it ends up killing her. She dies in childbirth. It's a part of the irony of that story. It's also a parable for me and you. The thing that you, the, the, the idol that you want, the thing that you believe will complete your identity is the thing that will kill you if it's not the creator God, right? So, so some of you are familiar with the story this past week, uh, past couple weeks, of the baseball players who, got, the Astros who got caught cheating. Are you guys familiar with that? I, I know I do way too many baseball illustrations. I'll fix that. Anyway, so players for the Houston Astros got cheated. There was a camera on the opposing catcher. And so when the catcher made his pitch signals, there was somebody in the, uh, the runway behind the dugout who could see on the camera the signals that the catcher was making, and then they were banging on a trash can two times to alert the batter that a changeup was coming. And a bunch of players are implicated in this. Two players, there's a bunch of them, but I'll tell you two that I want to bring out to you. Two players are implicated in this. Jose Altuve, Carlos Beltran, both of them perennial all-stars. Carlos Beltran might end up being in the Hall of Fame. This actually might be a, a ding in that, those hopes, but he was good enough to, be, I think, be in the Hall of Fame. Both of those guys, outspoken Christians, outspoken about their faith in Jesus Christ, and they were cheating. They were doing something illegal in order. It's not a big deal. Right? It's just baseball, right? Whatever. It's just a game. I mean, no, nobody really cares, right? How do, how do two people who, as far as I know, genuinely do believe in Jesus, how do they get to the point where they're willing to cheat in baseball? Here's how. Their identity has moved or shifted from being, I belong to God in Jesus Christ, to I am a professional hitter. That identity is challenged every day by professional pitchers. The burden to keep that identity going the burden to know that I'm not a failure, that I'm a success, the burden to know that my existence on this earth is worth something. I can justify myself because I can hit a baseball three out of ten times. That burden was too immense. Do you see what happened? With, with their mouths, they worship the one true God. And with their actions, they reveal that their identity is actually built around another God. And there's probably all sorts of gods built in there. The God of money, certainly. You hit 300, you're going to make way more than if you hit 280. You hit 25 home runs, you make way more than if you hit 15 home runs. The burden of status. When I, when, when I walk into the clubhouse, all of the best baseball players in the world know that I'm the best one out of the best ones. That sort of status. Competition. I want to win. 
These are idols that get in the way of the worship of the one true God, and they caved in. You and I do it all the time. Some of you are like, well, that's stupid, you know? Like, well, who cares about that? It's just a game. Just be honest, right? Everybody's, everybody else's idols look ridiculous to you and me, right? You ever have a conversation with, with, with people and you're like, you know, I'll say to myself, it's not about any of you guys, of course. I'll say to myself, I'll say to Angela, I'll say, you talk to them? And they're like, they always, the conversation always gets back to this one thing. How could they be so interested in that? Or she gets so upset when you mention that. I don't know why she just flies off the handle every time you mention that. Well, so, so other people's idols look ridiculous to us. And my idols look ridiculous to you. Right? But we all have these idols, these things that we're trying to build our identity around, these things that we're looking for justification from. And that's what Jonah's doing. Now, I want you to pause just for a second here. So they're asking, asking Jonah these questions of identity because they want to get at who, who he's worshiping. And he says the right thing. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth. Just like if you asked Jose Altuve, who do you fear? He would say, I believe in Jesus Christ. If you asked Rachel, who do you fear? She'd say, I believe in Yahweh. If you asked me who I fear, I would say, I believe in Yahweh in human form, Jesus. He says the right thing, but what's it really, what's his idol? You already know this from the story. Think about it for just a second. What is, what is, the, what is it about Jonah's identity that gets in the way of the worship of the one true God? What's the idol of his heart in the story? He doesn't want to share the gospel with anybody who is not his ethnicity. God calls him to go to Assyria, and he bails. Check this out. Look at verse 8, or verse 9. They ask him these identity questions. What's his first answer? He says to them, I'm a Hebrew. The very last question they ask are of what people are from you. But the one he answers the first, the one that's in the front of his mind, the one that he has built his identity around is, I am a Hebrew. Now, again, that's not your identity, probably. Maybe it is. None of you are like, my ethnicity is the most important thing about me. My ethnicity is the one thing that if it's taken from me, I can't live without. That might not be your thing. We might not, we might not live in the right time for that. If, the, if this was in the South, if this was in the antebellum South, it might be. It might be, I believe in Jesus. I worship God. That's for us white people. That might be the case. Maybe that's not for you, but your idols are just as ridiculous to Jonah as Jonah's are to you. The point is that Jonah has this idol that's getting in between him and God, and the pagans are going to call him on it. Remember back in verse 6, they say, uh, this is not in the text, but this is from last week. The captain comes to him and says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Call out to your God. Jonah can't believe in this God that he should believe in, because the God that he wants to believe in has been challenged, the God of his own ethnic pride. And it's the pagan. Same thing when we get to chapter 4 or chapter 3. The people of Nineveh are the one who repent and believe in God, and Jonah's the one, the believer is the one who fights it the whole way. Here's the pagan who says, Look, we're in trouble here. He doesn't know it yet, but the evil that you've brought upon us is too great for us to handle. Get up and call on your God. And then Jonah's got to say, I'm actually running from my God. I'm believing in something else. Call out to your God. That's language of repentance too, right? Language of repentance and belief. Psalm 86.5 says, For you Lord, are, you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and in abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon you. Our personal idols are standing in the way of all, us calling on the one true God. 
And in order for us to truly be, our, for, for our identity truly to be filled up, we're going to have to abandon those personal idols. Okay, hard stop. Here's the gospel. I can't actually tell you to abandon the idols of your heart. I can't do it. Our hearts, like John Calvin says, our hearts are factories of idols. Have you ever known somebody who like just became like, you know, just concerned because they were addicted to smoking? And they knew it was bad for them health-wise, but they also knew, like, I don't want to be controlled by something. I don't want something to like be telling me, you're not going to feel good today. You're not going to be relaxed today unless you smoke. And so they'll fight to, to give up smoking. And do you ever see this happen? And then they'll start to gain a bunch of weight. Because if you give up one idol, it's, another one's just going to pop up and try to replace it. So you gain a bunch of weight because you're giving up smoking, and you're like, I can't do this. This is not healthy. I'm going to start eating right and go to the gym. And so the next thing you know, working out becomes your idol. Your body image becomes your idol. Your notion of your own healthiness. You can't, you can't actually stop getting rid of idols. Right? You can say to yourself, you know what? I am not going to snap at my kids anymore. I'm not going to do it. And then you stop snapping at your kids, or you start trying to not snap at your kids, and the next thing that pops up is the pride that you're doing a good job being a good dad. And that pride is just as sinful. It's just as much an idol. It's just as much going to damn you as snapping at your kids. Here's the solution. I'm not telling you that you have to get rid of your idols. I'm telling you this. Come to Jesus and let him be the thing that your heart desires so much. Start to recognize that that feeling of relaxing and being at peace that you get from smoking, I'm not going to preach against smoking, just an example. Only Jesus can give that to you. That the image that you have of yourself when you're skinny, as opposed to when you're overweight, that that satisfaction, that I look pretty good. I bet people think I look pretty good. It's never going to be satisfied by being skinny. Only Jesus can give that satisfaction to you. Only the one who was asleep in the back of the boat on Galilee, who can stand up and say, I stand above all idols, I stand above all evil, can say to you, I can fulfill every deepest desire of your heart. All the things that you long for are just shadows, just echoes of what your heart really wants to belong to the creator God, to know that my existence is justified, no questions asked. I don't have to hit this, I don't have to hit this change up. I don't have to win this game. I don't got to post something cool about my kids on Facebook. I don't have to get the promotion. I don't have to finally get control of my temper. I don't have to finally get control of my eating. I don't have to say something funny so other people will laugh. All those things are just shades, will-o'-the-wisps. The one thing you want is for Jesus to say, I love you, and you belong to me. No questions asked. Let's pray. God, uh, work this in our hearts so that our eyes are taken off the shallow and self-serving idols that our hearts long to worship and turn to you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, who our hearts even more desperately long to worship. Amen.